JB, um, what, what's going on there? I'm just trying to read the fine print about whether or not there's going to be a football season this fall. The uh, the writing on the wall doesn't look so good, and so I I thought I had to put my glasses on to make sure I was seeing what what was going on here. Um, but man, for a couple of weeks ago we were talking about schools reopening, you know, things are moving forward, and then all of a sudden Friday comes along and. Oof. Yeah, I mean, it, it was kind of a culmination of last week. Uh, once the bad news didn't confine itself to Monday and Tuesday of last week, we kind of saw where the writing was. We got a lot of phone calls. You saw the Friday video by now. About 13,000 of you uh, saw it between Twitter and yeah. Facebook. Thanks to Reddit CFB for uh, kind of giving us a platform with their retweet uh, to reach more people out there. We reached all parts of this country. Trust me in that because we were getting direct messages from a lot of people as to what was going on and what the prospects of what's next look like, what's next being possibly spring football. We wanted to do a show about it. Uh, this is that, but I got to be honest with you, I'm tired. <laughs> this is one of the more exhausting months we've ever been through. When football is yeah. being played, I'm not usually this exhausted. Uh, no. Trying to stay in front of this story has been a challenge, and uh, we do appreciate all the kind words that we've been receiving from folks out there about what we've been trying to do uh, to keep people informed. Not everybody likes what we're trying to do, Frank. Unfortunately, and it's kind of been surprising um, some of the, the voices out there that are, have been against it. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, like we said, you know, a few weeks back, our MO is about the student athletes. They have a very um, finite window of time in which to, to compete in, this, in these types of sports. And uh, that's been taken away from them um, by people who may or may not really know exactly or have their um, entirely their best interest at heart. And we heard with Coach Cat, uh, a lot of this decision making has been has been made with the Floridas and the LSU's in mind, and not the uh, you know not the Red Hawks or the Springfields or the Wesleys um, you know behind you uh, in mind. There's a lot more at the NCAA at the small college D2 FCS level that play football. Um, and we haven't really seen uh, recognition or voices being heard of that. So we're trying to bring that out, um, you know, through some of these conversations like we'll have on, on this show with, uh, with some people who are right in the thick of it and really know, uh, know their stuff. Yeah, uh, look, uh, the next ATN podcast that's happening will have a lot of coach and player reactions as to what happens over the next week. I confirm that. It'll sure. probably be at the end of July out there. We're not going to be going there. This, is, this will be our last podcast until August in some form uh, or another because we need a break as much as uh, you guys do. You'll see the news flowing. You'll see the conferences canceling. You'll see when the playoffs get uh, canceled. Watch us on Twitter. You'll see all that. Right now, we want to tackle a subject that has become paramount in what you've been asking us about, spring football. So here we go. As season 12, the groundhog day of our seasons on here, uh, here on the, in the huddle continues.
Okay, so this show is going to work uh, like this. So we have uh, compiled a bunch of ideas and thoughts about what spring football challenges include. Um, we have some things on our screen running along with it. Uh, again, uh, we'll show right now why we believe we're going to be running into these questions. Right now, you're seeing on the screen the um, slide of uh, what I had gone through on the Friday video. I don't want to belabor this point, but here it is about... Uh, the cancellations expected. This show is going to air on Tuesday, being recorded on Monday this week. Most likely, we've had some changes already from Monday uh, that we won't capture here. But you get it. We think the championship is going to be canceled uh, for the fall. And then once that happens, the rest of the bloodletting will occur. Some stalwarts may stay out there and want to still play. Uh, that'll be up to them. But if the championship moves to the spring especially, it's a whole nother question. First, before we go here, JB, everybody's heard my view on things on Friday. What what are your feelings right now? Give it a good minute of uh, JB speak on what this did to you emotionally last week and what you look to coming up now. Uh, you know, I, I think I'm still still um, kind of in shock, kind of in denial, kind of just disappointed uh, that this is where we're at um, only, you know, 20 days into July. Um, I feel like, uh, you know, for a lot of reasons that we've you know, put on uh, in prior episodes that there could have been decisions made maybe later on instead of just preemptively uh, dumping the season at this stage uh, of the game. But, um, you know, if, if the pivot is to spring football, then we have to be thoughtful and, how that could potentially work, um, what's really the safest way to go about it. Um, and I'm not talking about safe from a virus. I'm talking about, you know, safety from just, you know, basically, you know, the physical wear and tear that a season will put on you. Um, we're going to talk to an old friend, um, you know, a little later in the show, uh, Dr. Strickland, who's a uh, CEO at the Sports Concussion Institute in Los Angeles. He teaches medicine at UCLA. Uh, my wife's alma mater. She told me I should put on like a you know a Bruins hat or something when we have him on. We'll see if I, <laughs> I can go there with that. Being a USC guy, they've got the diploma on the back of the wall there. So you know we have our little rivalry here. But uh, you know there are some valid you know questions around you know what does playing um, potentially. 16, 20 football games over the course of a, you know, eight month period uh, due to someone's body. Maybe it's not that bad. I don't know. We'll find out. It could be as many as 30 if you, you went full season, full season, uh, which I don't necessarily think there's the capacity to do ultimately, but just think about the implications of it. Uh, Dr. Craig uh, Poison will also be joining us uh, from Springfield, the athletic director there, and uh, he will go through the challenges created by spring football slash fall sports in the spring. We have to keep using those words or terms interchangeably because our first slide is going to actually discuss it uh, that's coming up here on the first challenge that pushing football to the spring causes. Let me be clear that the SAA conference uh, started kind of a let's move everything to the, the spring in terms of the championship, especially for football, into the spring. And then some of those schools are what I would call schools that lack, you know, either the training staff sizes or the resources that might be able to accomplish the full movement of fall sports into the spring. So it surprised some people that that was the conference that was kind of 
starting this whole role uh, last week. But then we got some uh, outreach from coaches uh, this weekend asking us, you know, how they can make this happen, how they could get the Stag Bowl and the related playoffs into the spring. It moved uh, from the fall because they see the writing on the wall as much as we do and reported on. So that's why we're here. That's what is driving this show because a lot of questions have come up. A lot of misinformation, a lot of, I would call, vacuum effect where you think that you can just move football and that's it is occurring as well. We want to fully embrace this. We are not trying to be negative about spring football. We would like to see our student athletes that want to play able to play. We tried it for the fall and nobody was uh, really biting on it once the NCAA said, hey, here's a, here's a $50,000 plus mandate for football uh, for the testing requirements we're going to do with no grants to go with it. It is what it is. Again, this all assumes that COVID's in control by March, February, whatever it, uh, it may be, and that we can even discuss sports period in the spring. But let's work on that assumption. Pray that the uh, vaccines that are in the running right now come through October-ish or whenever and you know, move forward with the thoughts here of spring football. Slide number one, uh, issue number one. Spring football offering would trigger Title IX concerns. Now, JB, a lot of people wonder what the heck that means. Let's look at the uh, bullet points here, though. Playing football requires women's sports to also be played to meet the Title IX rules for resource equivalency and more. At a minimum, uh, when we mention these two sports in particular, it's also volleyball. It's also a bunch of other offerings out there because it's not just these two sports played in the fall. It depends on the school. depends on... Uh, what is considered the high-risk sports. It's out there in the NCAA document. We're not going to bore you with it all. But at a minimum, let's say women's soccer and field hockey would need to be played to help counterbalance these issues. For fairness purposes, men's soccer may also need to be played because if you play women's soccer, how are you going to tell the men's soccer team, sorry, you can't have a season at that point? So Title IX, what it all means at the end of the day. I think you have a better grasp of it uh, lately because we've had to start talking about it again. But essentially, just in the quick layman's terms of it all, football creates a real counterbalance issue at schools where gender equity comes into play with Title IX. The roster size is so large, the budget size is so large that you have to counterbalance it. And I've pointed out before, if you go to the website for Alabama's athletics, go look at the spring term or spring sports they offer. You'll see a lot of women's only sports in that term because they're attempting to counterbalance for Title IX purposes on the budget and roster uh, issues, among other things out there. What are your thoughts on this one? Well, I mean, Coach Cab, I think, put it the best when, you know, if we're, let's just say that we do have a spring season and, you know, Maybe it's not a full 10-game slate, but whatever game slate it's going to be is going to have to be uh, equitable with the um, you know, the other uh, women's and other men's sports out there. So, for instance, if there's um, seven football games, then that might mean that there's going to have to be 20 uh, women's soccer games to, to balance it out from a percentage um, you know, competition perspective. So if they're playing 70% of their schedule, then all the women's sports are going to have to play 70% of their schedule too. So, and that's where, um, you know, and Dr. Prasad will get into it more in more detail than, than we can, than we can understand, I guess, but like, you know, there's only a certain number of fields. Maybe you're going to have to push games to Thursday nights, Friday nights, Saturday nights, Sunday nights, like who knows what, what kind of scheduling challenges could, uh, could come from this. 
And let's go to the second uh, point here because you just mentioned uh, some of point number two. Field equipment and facility shortages could exist. Additional uh, field sports would tie up fields already being used by lacrosse, baseball, softball, and other spring sports for games and practices. Strength and conditioning facilities already at a premium in many of these schools would become similarly challenged or challenging to schedule. Equipment challenges could exist in training and laundry scenarios uh, leading to staffing concerns. Uh, staffing comes up in a second a little bit more. Let's look at the field and uh, equipment and facility shortages. So generally here, you know, there are schools I, like Mount Union out there. I, I was uh, talking to our friend Lenny Reich a little bit about, you know, what, what happens if this happens in football? Could sure. Mount Union yeah. ri rise to the occasion? Would they rise to the occasion to do it? And he, you know, off the record-ish, but I, I feel like this is not a surprise, so I'm going to, uh, you know, throw him under the bus, I guess, here. No, it's, it, Lenny's, Sorry, Lenny's very honest. Yeah, no, Lenny's very honest with this. If there's a mandate, what's that? <laughs> Won't be the last time. <laughs> yeah. Well, no. But it, the the point is, if there's a mandate like that, my union's going to find a way to roll with it because they have the field uh, capabilities. But he admits a lot of schools don't out there, and so you know that's that's a concern because the whole idea or principle of moving spring or football to spring or any other sports uh, for that matter that have to go with it ultimately is that you want to still preserve the level of competition in doing it. That's why you want to have the championship to go with it ultimately. And yeah. so, uh, you know, one of the ideas you're going to hear in our uh, Dr. Poisson interview uh, coming up in a little bit is about kind of a staggering of the sports in the winter and spring zone to the degree you can do that, he said. Uh, yeah. And that could help alleviate some of these issues. But let's face it, come March for these sports, if you're playing even half seasons instead of full seasons, you're going to run into problems with field space and then plowing fields in, in, for the outdoor sports and other things that you yeah. don't necessarily think about in September with those fall sports. And let's, and let's say for the record that as of now, um, July 20th, the OAC is planning on still playing in the fall. They, they did announce that their, their conference was going to just go to conference only games. They have not officially canceled yet, but you know, we'll see. Um, we, we have gotten some interesting, you know, comments on Twitter, though. Like, you know, for instance, uh, for fans out in Wisconsin and Minnesota, they're like, are you kidding me? We can't play. We can't play football here in, in February or March. It's we're still buried under the snow. I mean, same thing probably for uh, schools out in, in Chicago, in the Chicago area, other parts of the Midwest. And you know, for the last few years, um, the winters in New England, particularly around March, uh, still are, you know, there's still a lot of snow happening. So, um, fortunately, there's a lot more artificial fields um, than actual grass ones these days. But still, um, there's a number of cha uh, challenges, not just weather-related, uh, in moving everything to the spring. Agreed there. Uh, and, it, again, it, logistics are going to matter here uh, for schools. In the South, maybe you don't have the same weather concerns. Uh, you know, the SAA uh, compilation of teams, the ASC, et cetera. Uh, some of the ODAC teams do because, hey, remember uh, my uh, foray in the 21 inches of snow in Salem, uh, Virginia, uh, for Stag yeah. Bowl in December, whatever it was, uh, then I almost didn't get home for Christmas uh, at that point because of the issues we were experiencing for that one not that long ago, folks. So uh, something to think about, those field equipment and uh, facility shortages that could occur. Let's look at the next uh, set of concerns. Staffing concerns, which we alluded to uh, in number two. Staffing concerns exist in coaching, training, and other scenarios. 
Several fall coaches in Division Three are either head or assistant coaches for spring sports. Training staffs will be uh, will not be able to cover the enormity of the spring sports offerings at many schools, leading to safety concerns or higher costs to hire more uh, trainers and laundry facilities. Uh, administrative staffing, etc., will be spread thin if coverage is available uh, or even available in that situation. So, you know, JB, the cost factor, okay, we've been hearing about the costs of testing being prohibitive yeah. for playing sports, but then the cost of possibly hiring more training staff uh, folks or local doctors to be on hand, uh, you know, the administrative yeah. aspect of it. I, know, I joke around, like, I do a lot of laundry because I've got five teenagers. I mean, trust me, that's a, it's a lot. But when you're talking about you know, a, a roster of 100 plus uh, football players. I mean, lacrosse teams probably have rosters up to 30 or 40 people, um, men and women. Uh, same thing with you know soccer teams. Uh, there's probably 25, 30 uh, people on those rosters. So all of a sudden, you're going to be what tripling, quadrupling, quintupling, or whatever the word is. Um, you know, the amount of even just the the laundry <laughs> for um, you know for the spring term, depending on how you slice this up. Yeah, it's daunting, uh, to say the least, and uh, the little things you don't think about necessarily when you're trying to propose things like this. So yeah, you're looking at fifty dollars to $60,000 for COVID testing, possibly, but how much more in staffing are you looking at? Maybe not that much, but at the same time, with all the other hurdles factoring in, maybe you have to rent fields locally uh, just to play some of these games at other facilities in your locality. I mean, things like that will play a role for some of these schools. Yeah, and even though we're, we're optimistic that there could be something by the fall, like, but if there isn't a vaccine by the springtime, you might still have to drop 70 grand on, you know, per sport on COVID testing anyway. Yeah, and that's, again, we're trying to use the let's hope and assume that, uh, you know, the yeah. vaccine's their principle here, but it's still, it's, it's a valid point you're raising right there. Let's go to number four. Roster concerns for spring sports are possible. Football teams share crossover with baseball and lacrosse teams in the spring. Women's soccer and field hockey teams could also have crea- uh, or could also have crossover issues with uh, lacrosse and softball. This would adversely affect spring sports for a second consecutive year if rosters are diluted by fall sports offerings. Well, again, okay. You got to bring these other sports in with football if you do it. Football itself creates these roster issues. And now you basically, and we said this uh, in my little rant to the NJAC uh, last week, you're basically saying to the spring sports, hey, here's your second go of really getting kind of screwed in this whole situation because it may be tough to even field a roster normally for some of these sports in the spring. Now, look. Every indication we get is that a football player will pick football first. About 80% of them will do that. If that's the case, and we're pulling away from baseball and men's lacrosse in those schools, how are you going to do this? Would we start playing football with the overlap in basketball on the other side of it, essentially, where the basketball playoffs are involved? We don't even think about that. Sometimes there's football-basketball crossover. They're able to live with it because it's the beginning of the basketball season, uh, you know, come November, they can go back over to the basketball side. Now you're going to lose them in the scenario of playoffs for basketball, potentially. Or have foot, they have make this big decision about, okay, I'll forfeit the first couple football games I would have played in, and then come join the team after the basketball playoffs are done. There are just so many scenarios where you're going to force tough decisions, yes, but also 
possibly the real, again, I'm going to use the word, screwing over the spring sports it, themselves because of this desire and need to play football in these other sports in the spring. Again, not trying to be negative about it. This is just reality, though, folks, and things that they're going to have to review. You Look, Chad Shade, Will Bellamy, football-baseball crossover uh, at two of our uh, higher-profile uh, schools that we've had on the show before, uh, Springfield and Union, respectively. This is real, and people, I don't think, appreciate this one as much. Yeah, absolutely, um, because there is one of the best things about Division Three is that it does provide uh, student-athletes the opportunity to compete in multiple sports, which you really you know, can't do at the Division One level. So, um, I, I, as a as a particularly as a lacrosse fan, uh, I'm I'm concerned about what will happen with that season. Uh, it got canceled once before. Uh, could it be canceled again? Could it be kicked down to later in the in the spring or summer? I mean, it is it's hard to tell. Um, you know what some of the effects of moving a lot of these uh, fall sports to the spring might might entail. And like you said, Frank, we've already seen. You know the the spring of 2020 um, kind of get just you know, the plug pulled on. You know how do you avoid that from happening again? Especially if you, you know, there's uh, so many other possible scenarios that we can't even you know cover here. Again, uh, Dr. Poison uh, will uh, be uh, joining us uh, in a second here. Uh, we have one more slide uh, to talk about. We'll do uh, that one after uh, this interview. But uh, he has uh, had to go through this whole process of making decisions over the last week. Uh, Springfield was one of the schools on Friday that pulled the plug along with a few other NUMAC schools on Friday. Then the CCC went after that. Effectively, uh, the NUMAC almost wiped out. I think there's two schools still remaining, possibly Catholic and I believe uh, Merchant Marine Academy. And uh, Catholic, I know, has had meetings where they were trying to stay optimistic about it, but hiding in a schedule under these circumstances, especially if uh, some of the other conferences we know of that are going to be pulling the plug do so over the next couple days, if they haven't already by the airing of the show. I'm not going to name names, but obviously Catholic will be kind of isolated in their uh, region if this begins to happen the way we think it is. So we'll see where this goes from there for them. Um, Coach Gutton, uh, folks, uh, we send our best uh, down to them or up to them in your case. Um, but Dr. Poison, Poison, excuse me, uh, was, uh, let's say, forthcoming to the degree he can be about what spring football principles mean. And let's go to that interview. Dr. Poison, uh, it is great to have you on uh, joining us. Uh, last time I saw you was basically during uh, what was a jubilant time for this guy's alma mater of Hobart, uh, when Hobart uh, beat Springfield in a very, very tight game to, in the second round of the NCAA men's basketball tournament, right before everything got shut down for that period of time. And then spring sports went with it. Now fall sports in peril. Uh, Springfield has canceled uh, fall sports uh, last week. Ask you about that in a second. Uh, what is the general feel uh, over at Springfield about what is happening right now? How are you feeling about uh, these things and how tough have the decisions been for you? Yeah, I, I, first of all, that was a great Division Three men's basketball environment in Blake Arena to have uh, a packed gymnasium two nights in a row and have St. Joe's with a well-known coach in the arena uh, added to the environment for Division Three in a very competitive game um, right at the cusp of what we are now in. I guess it's probably the beginning of week 20 now. 
uh, and Frank, uh, you know, very disappointing and, and heartbreaking, you know, all decisions that uh, administrators, the division three level and people that are in the decision making um, are based on the best interests of the student athletes. And we're driven by one thing that overrides everything else. And that's the welfare of the student athletes. And we held on to hope and process the guidelines and things that needed to be in place to compete in the fall and came to the conclusion that based on the welfare, not only of our student athletes first and foremost, but the campus community, um, the decision was made to not compete. And um, I wanna just uh, point out, Frank, that we're, we're not using the term cancel sport at Springfield College. In this particular sport that the focus is on in D3 football is uh, Coach C is going to find a way to get our 150 football student athletes to compete. We're going to train. We're going to practice. We're going to do what we can. We've got a different jersey on in the fall. So we haven't canceled anything. We're going to engage and continue to develop men and women across campus. Uh, but in response to your direct question, obviously very disappointing and, and heartbreaking. Uh, one of the questions I think a lot of families have um, is around how these decisions are ultimately made. I mean, it's obviously wasn't your decision per se. I'm sure there was like a task force, a committee, um, you know, the president of Springfield, I'm sure was involved. Medical um, staff were involved and others. What, what was really, what's kind of the process, what has been the process and, and what, you know, what did the group sort of, you know, finally, when was the point where they decided, okay, this is the, this is the right decision and we're going to go ahead with it. Yeah, I appreciate the question. I, and, and yes, uh, uh, Dr. Cooper was uh, obviously as the president of the institution, um, we were together on this decision as we've been uh, navigating this pandemic. Uh, in the end, it, it come down to, again, the welfare of the student athletes and uh, managing the risk that you can. So while we're going to be able to train and compete on campus, we're going to be in, and I know the NBA and other organizations are using the term, the, the Springfield College bubble. Uh, and the external competition brings in other factors of opponents, travel and officials. Um, so to discount those risks, the decision was always to uh, not compete this fall. Uh, that was that was one of the the factors too. And you know, weeks ago there was a that we were on, and we were going to compete because competition is important. Athletics are important. Field College as well across the Division Three landscape. The uh, athletics bring great uh, vibrancy to campus communities. Uh, but that eight-lane highway became a six-lane highway, a four-lane highway, and then suddenly we were on a bike path. So decision needed to be made. And uh, as I had suggested on Friday, uh, it looks like your decision is not an isolated decision in Division Three right now. It looks like we are going to have uh, the dominoes fall completely on this, and nobody seems to be giving, giving us pushback on that idea, really. And it's kind of amazing. I thought we were going to have a long weekend uh, you know, related to what I had said, and lo and behold, the questions that I actually got posed more often than not, besides whether or not the Liberty League had canceled yet, because that that's still hanging out there. That's kind of the only uh, man standing in uh, New England, New York right now. But the other question was about spring football. And a lot of people believe 
that spring football is this kind of vacuum term that you can just go shift the fall sport into the spring and have no implications negatively uh, to the schools where you do that at. We, we've In the show, we've listed a bunch of things already. What do you see personally as the challenges that doing a spring football season would create, even if the NCAA were to say, okay, you know what, we'll play ball with you guys, we'll move the fall sport into the spring and uh, you know do the championship that way ultimately. What challenges does this type of idea create for you as a, a director of athletics? <clears throat> Yeah, I think the challenge is, uh, you know, to move any fall sport to the spring uh, would provide an opportunity and, and a challenge to do something that has never been done before. When you talk specifically about the sport of football, it, it just gets based surely on the volume and the numbers involved in the sport of football and the magnitude of the equipment. So moving any sport, the following would need to be considered uh, things that, that, that come to mind and I know you have been in the business a long time, both you and, and, and James, so probably none of this comes as a surprise. But sensitive uh, to athletic training, athletic training is uh, very, very important to the student-athlete experience. They're at the forefront of that student-athlete welfare piece, so they can't be stretched too thin if we're going to be moving fall sports to the spring. So athletic training, your strength and conditioning personnel, your personnel in charge of equipment, resource personnel component, your facilities, the fields, whether the fields have light or not. If we're talking about moving a fall sport to the spring, are we talking about the spring semester, which is typically April? Are we talking the first two months, January, February, based on where you're located? Um, there's inclement weather that includes snow and ice, the ability to plow the fields. Are we talking March and April? That may be less of a concern, although certainly in New England, as you know, March sometimes is worse than January. Uh, your sports communication personnel, your event management, your facilities, uh, specific to football, because that was the question that you, that you asked, sorry. There's also the equipment piece. So there would be significant um, hurdles that one would have to clear. Um, but I think that administrators and coaches would work collectively to try to get something done to provide opportunities to student athletes should that pathway be available. So my family uh, isn't too far away from you guys in Springfield. And, uh, you know, it seems to me the last like five years, some of the, the worst snowstorms have been hitting in, in late March up there in that part of uh, in that part of New England. You, know, you mentioned some of the logistics as far as, you know, having to plow the fields, the, the trainers, the SIDs, and so on. Um, I guess realistically, if there was, you know, some type of, of football season, how do you, you know, see the schedule um, sort of working? Is it basically taking what you had in 2020 and then trying to move it up in the calendar and sort of stick with it that way? Or does it become um, almost like a you know, trading card, you know, fantasy football type situation where you just try to figure out, okay, well, we can get – uh, Western New England here this weekend in March, we can, you know, get union over here, you know, in April or, I mean, the scheduling thing has to be, um, you know, part of the equation, I assume. I, lots of schedules are made, you know, years in advance. Um, can you honor uh, those same um, kind of schedule commitments that you had in 2020 or is it basically a clean slate since we, like you said, we've never been through anything like this before? Yeah, I think this, the, my response to that question would be, um, 
going back a couple questions, uh, the decision made at, at the particular institution where I work, and it was made in, in obviously under the leadership of President Cooper. You know, we, we're also unified within our conference, the new MAC um, conference, one of which sports is the sport of football. So I think the conference would have um, much to do with that question regarding scheduling, whether it would be just a conference schedule or a conference schedule plus some non-conference opponents. I'm not sure that based on everything that would be thrown into the hopper, you would have an opportunity to complete a 10-game schedule that may be unrealistic. Uh, but again, providing an opportunity for the student-athletes to compete, uh, regardless of how many games it may be, I think that people would be very flexible with their schedules, and we could be looking at, again, in this particular sport, Thursday night football, Friday night football, again, based on uh, other factors. But I think it would require great flexibility on the part of the intercollegiate schedulers, um, and it would be exciting to try to do. Uh, one uh, person, uh, coach out there that I was uh, talking about, you know, we were having you on the show uh, last night, uh, had brought up uh, the idea. Uh, he was interested to hear how, and you mentioned this is one of the challenges, the training staff uh, situation uh, may work at Springfield because you actually have kind of a training, uh, athletic training program uh, at that school. And if you find it challenging to perform you know, or, or to cover all the extra sports. And let's face it, for Title IX purposes, we're not just talking football because uh, women's soccer, field hockey, maybe women's volleyball, depending on what your offerings are normally in the fall, women's sports probably have to go with this for Title IX reasons uh, that we've discussed already in the show. I'm not going to, uh, you know, bore you with that because you already know kind of wh what goes with that. But ultimately, all these extra sports offerings in the spring would require this extra staffing for training staffs because let's face it, we're moving this thing or could move this thing to the spring for the health, safety and welfare of the student athletes and then to get to the other side of it and not have the health, safety and welfare covered on the actual field of play would seem a little bit problematic for a lot of people. How would that piece specifically affect Springfield, especially with that athletic training program in existence there? Yeah, I think so much of what you've asked is unknown, uh, and that's kind of what we've had to uh, grasp over the course of the last week, the, the uncertainty. We could have plans in place to, to address that, and we would have to have plans in place because, as we've stated, the welfare is first and foremost uh, the number one priority. I, I think that the, based on where we are with um, the pandemic at that time and based on where we are, um, with guidance from local cities, uh, if we're if we need to continue to de-densify these fall sports that could be in spring, would have to have a segmented season, a shortened season, as well as perhaps winter and spring. So I think at some places it would be able to have all firing on all cylinders at the same time. Uh, so segmenting things out would make it easier on the athletic training and strength and conditioning personnel in particular equipment and sports and and i shouldn't say easier it would just as a matter of fact it would it would make it doable yeah i think you alluded to this in, in your prior answer but one of the other questions that we've heard from a number of different families student athletes is like well what about the 
there aren't a lot of them out there, but one of the great things about Division Three is it does allow um, dual sport athletes. So maybe football and baseball, or you know lacrosse, what have you. How does you know how does the student athlete kind of you know prioritize? I mean, maybe it's like you said, you have to sort of segment into smaller seasons to in order to allow them to do that. We've seen the NCAA comment a little bit about waivers and eligibility, but it still seems kind of vague to me in general. Um, so. So what about the for the dual sport athlete? Is there going to be like a prioritization process or is it hopefully going to be figured out with the separate season that they'll be able to at least you know continue that point? Before you answer that, we will be nicknaming this question the Chad Shade slash Will Bellamy question, just for those that are wondering out there, uh, the two sport athletes in football and baseball. Go right ahead. Yeah, I, I think that uh... – your, your, your question is a very good one, and I think it's answered by uh, one of the things that we do is we develop young men and young women through their college experience is that life is full of difficult choices. Should these seasons not be segmented out, this comes down to an individual choice. You know, it could be the, the next soccer player who switches jerseys and kicks the PAT or the field goal that has happened sometimes uh, through the history of intercollegiate athletics. Um, but I think the individual student would have a choice to make, and it would be awesome if that student had the opportunity to do that. It seems like there's a lot of unknowns, uh, and uh, we, we don't fault you one bit on uh, that because it's so early in the process. Let me ask you this question, though. Uh, because there seems to be a coalition forming of coaches out there that want to make this move happen, want the NCAA to comply and get the fall championship to the spring possibly. We're hearing it from multiple sources. When do you think this decision needs to be investigated fully to be able to pull this off at schools throughout the country since schools have varying schedules as it is as to when they graduate in the spring, uh, when they go back in the winter, etc.? these things would get affected to a certain degree by an idea like this and any segmenting like you're talking about. When does this decision set need to be made, do you feel? And when should we be starting discussing a decision like that potentially? Yeah, Frank, while I'm appreciative of the question that maybe the first one that you've asked me that I'm not going to respond to directly because I'm not at the level of making that decision. I think people need to collect the data, do the research, look at alternatives and come to a decision based on when that would be. I just hope the membership would be flexible and that flexibility would be driven by providing opportunities for student athletes. Well, here's another question that you may not be able to answer, but for me as the, the eternal optimist, as I guess you could call me, um, you know, we, we, we have seen reports about some of the um, recent successes that, that we're seeing in, in testing and uh, out in Oxford and London and other places. What if there is a vaccine um, come mid-September? I mean, is this a, is this a kind of decision um, or a, a new piece of information that maybe could restart fall sports programs in October if, you know, the best case scenario, something like that happened? Or is it really now that the decision has been to cancel that's done and the plan is to move forward and, and look ahead to maybe, uh, like you said, a, a segmented spring season, or if there's new information come September, you just deal with it then and, and see what the cards are uh, you're dealt, I guess. Yeah, another difficult question to respond to, but I could say as educators, we're always interested in the data. And if the data is there and, and, and a vaccine becomes available quicker than 
those in the health industry indicate uh, that might be possible. Uh, I think that the decision makers would do whatever uh, was necessary to provide opportunities to compete as soon as possible. That would be a, a nice uh, discussion to have to have. Yeah, Doctor Doctor Poison, uh, we always appreciate you and your time and uh, what you do uh, over at Springfield. You have a great culture over there. I've got to tell you, uh, and uh, Coach Sarazulo and company have always been just a complete pleasure uh, to have on the show. Brian McGoff and his first class as a uh, sports communications uh, guy. Uh, wanted to give you one chance here, uh, you know, to speak to all the Springfield players, alumni, staff, etc., about just you know thoughts and you know hopes, I guess, of where things go from here. Because this is a dark time, obviously, in Division Three. We've got a lot of sadness on our Twitter feed as a result of Friday, and that's not what we try to do around here. As JB says, we try to be the eternal optimists around here, but we also have to be realists around here, as you know. So go ahead with any message you have for the Springfield Pride community out there. Well, I, and before I, before I do that, I, I, I want to recognize the, the work that you do and the interest and passion that you and James have for Division Three athletics and in, in, in particular the sport of football. Um, particularly during this time, I think the young uh, men and women involved in Division Three athletics, knowing that there's a water cares about um, their path uh, and their passion uh, has been very well received. So I, I want to thank both of you for that which you do for Division Three athletics. I would tell the 650 plus student athletes at Springfield College that the jersey awaits them and brighter days are ahead. And when the opportunity presents itself to compete, we are going to be ready. We will be ready as well uh, when it comes to football. Uh, you know, spring football would be a challenge to us as much as anybody, yeah, because uh, normally we have our lives set up in a certain way that, you know, winter, spring, uh, summer, we do other things, fall comes around, we're ready to go. It's going to be interesting next couple months to see how everything plays out. You're going to have an interesting life the next couple of months. The decision that was made last week is not where this stops for sure. Uh, there is a lot more to the story to come, and uh, we ask us, we know, because we did a lot, a lot of shows in March thinking we wouldn't be this far into it come almost August now, and lo and behold, look at us, we're still doing shows about this at a time when uh, we were hoping to be talking about preseason football and rolling with it, so... Let's cross our fingers that we are going to have those brighter times ahead. We appreciate your time. And, again, thank you for everything you do uh, with the Springfield Pride, the new Mac, et cetera, because uh, we know that you put a lot of work into what you do over there. Thank you very much, gentlemen. So, you know, coming into that interview, I talked about him being kind of forthcoming to the degree he can be. And you, you can hear some ambivalence in his voice about, you know, where things could go. And that's Look, that's a correct answer as much as anything right now. I hate to say this. We have a lot of people out there trying to push forward the principle of spring football. And that's fine. And by all means, let's see what the possibilities could be. I don't have a problem with the idea. But everybody that's pushing it has to realize and not get upset about the following statement. You cannot make the move to spring football in a vacuum. One uh, set of coaches admitted to me this weekend 
that they would not want to play six games, their team would not want to play six games, and waste a year of eligibility without the playoffs going with it, ultimately. Right. It's an interesting point, and you know, I, I don't know if the NCAA would even play ball like that. We, we were uh, trying to reach out for a comment from them. If we get it during this uh, recording, I'll let you know what it is, but we haven't seen a response yet. But my point being this, there's a lot of, you know, we want to force the hand of the NCAA, but the NCAA is going to wake up at some point and say, okay, well, what about the other sports? What about the challenges these schools will have? What if we only have 100 schools willing to go in the spring? How is that any better than when we canceled this, the fall season's championships in the first place? It's something that folks have to really open their minds to here a little bit more than just saying, move football. What are your thoughts on his interview? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, he, he was about as you know, direct and candid as he as he can be. Um, and I think the biggest challenge for a lot of these, um, you know, athletic directors and and college presidents is that there is still a lot of unknown out there. And um, I think that's why you know to a certain extent, um, you know, we were kind of behind uh, Coach Cat saying of like, hey, why don't we just wait until September and see where we are then instead of you know, making decisions now, but. Um, to one of your points, uh, you know, there are lots of families out there. They're trying to figure out you know, what they're going to do in the next couple of weeks, um, you know, pack up and send their kid to college, maybe have them just stay at home and take classes online, maybe get a job. Like there's, there's lots of um, decisions, uh, important life decisions for these young people that need to be made. And unfortunately, um, the NCAA and a lot of these places aren't helping, it, helping um, make those decisions for anybody. No, not at all. Uh, again, I, I tweeted out that the NCAA had enough idea of what they were going to probably require or put into a guideline regarding testing, and they could have really done better to help the schools afford it when it got down to it, and they didn't do that. And now we all sit here basically with the double whammy of we had enough problems as it is, and now we've got this testing situation that we can't even afford, uh, especially some of these medium to low endowment schools. There's one other big uh, issue here, JB, that uh, we're going to talk about now, and this is probably the one we've highlighted the most over the last couple of weeks, and uh, we'll save the quote best for last, uh, and uh, also have an interview to go with it. Safety issues, uh, they're being highlighted by many people. Concussion and head trauma issues could be magnified by playing 20 to 30 football games in an eight to nine month period. General wear and tear, such as orthopedic issues, could also be magnified, especially in football. And if playoffs are played in spring for football, a stag bowl participant would get potentially just three months of rest before preseason begins in fall 2021. These are real issues. These are real concerns. Again, the health, safety, and welfare issue of not playing in the fall needs to sort of match the health, safety, and welfare issue of what you do with uh, the spring situation uh, overall. I know you know an orthopedist uh, that maybe we'll have on uh, with a little Twitter segment at some point uh, to give us a little bit of indication in a future date, but we uh, wanted to bring in our old friend, Dr. Tony Strickland, and I'll let you kind of do the honors here of uh, Dr. Strickland and introduce him. Yeah, so we first uh, got to know Dr. Strickland about a decade ago. Um, this was back when I still lived in California, and he uh, runs the Sports Concussion Institute and uh, teaches um, at the Geffen School of Medicine, I believe, at, at uh, UCLA. Um, it's probably, you know, for a lot of you current players or families, 
Um, you know, the concussion CTE thing is probably something that you think has been, you know, is old news, but uh, it's, it's been around for a while. And um, when we talked to uh, Dr. S uh, a decade ago, he was telling us about how even some of the schools we cover, like the University of Rochester, were really cutting edge with some of the helmet technology, some of the, the, the ways to um, you know, get readings on things. But we wanted to have him on from the perspective of, you know, what what potential risks are these uh, you know, young, um, young student athletes potentially you know, going to get themselves into if they try to condense a couple of, uh, couple of seasons in with not a whole lot of rest in between? Here we go. Uh, Dr. Strickland, it's, uh, it's, been, it's been a while since uh, you and I got to hang out together in California. I'm uh, representing your, uh, one of your other um, you know, places of work of the UCLA Bruins. My wife is a, is a, is a Bruin, um, although I'm still a card-carrying Trojan, you know, I've got to represent. Um, but from, if you recall way back when we were doing our audio version of this, um, you had mentioned that you had some colleagues at the University of Rochester, which is one of the schools that we cover. And there was a lot of advancements in the technology of like, the, of helmets and the, the ability to detect when an actual, um, you know, impact of a certain uh, amount would, would happen, which would, you know, basically kind of fl flag the players like, hey, you need to check this guy out because uh, he might have a he might have a concussion. Um, where are things nowadays with uh, with technology for the helmets? And are is it is it a lot safer in a way that, you know, maybe concussions isn't as big a concern because we have better ways to monitor it? What have been some of the advancements in the last, I don't know, five to however many years with helmet technology in preventing um, these kind of uh, head traumas from occurring? Well, me, helmet technology and associated uh, so-called concussion mitigating devices have continued to evolve. Uh, the, you know, the HIT system that you had referenced is essentially uh, sensors inside a helmet that measure the amount of energy that's associated with presumably a tackle or being tackled. And that sends out at the, mo at the time a signal to a sideline computer that will say that this last play had a G-force that exceeded uh, for example, let's say 70 Gs. And you would uh, at least uh, the sideline could utilize the technology as a sentinel, sort of like the canary in the coal mine to say that that's someone who is potentially uh, uh, symptomatic. And then you'd bring that person to the sideline and do more elaborate sideline assessment to determine whether or not they are likely uh, symptomatic or not. However, the biggest advances that have occurred have been the knowledge of uh, parents, teachers, coaches, administrators, other players of the signs and symptoms of concussion. They have done far more to enhance the overall health and safety of, of youth and other sports participants than the, the technology in and of itself. Uh, you now have players who will identify uh, people who are wandering to the wrong uh, huddle after a play or who don't appear to be communicating clearly within the huddle, who are not clear of assignments. And they now are, are, are saving all their harm by pulling these people out of the game. It's a huge and very uh, significant cultural shift in, 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 in playing the sport. 
we've seen on the at the lower end uh just had a meeting uh on friday i'm still on the pop warner medical advisory board where the number of concussions have decreased overall and uh it has to do with better knowledge of signs and symptoms but importantly better rule enforcement taking the head out of the game uh we don't and haven't for a while allowed athletes to practice with helmets um, and thus beat themselves up, reduce their vulnerable, their uh, ability to read and react, and then put them in the game and they get injured. So it's been a, a collection of prevention intervention techniques that have overall uh, rendered the, the sport more safe, pardon me, uh, more, more, more safe, and has uh, migrated these uh, uh, these techniques across uh, the spectrum of football. One of the things I remember us talking about almost 10 years ago now, uh, when the, we first uh, kind of got together, we focus a lot on youth football and about the repetitiveness of hits and how it's detrimental to youth to a certain degree to have those head hits, even with the protocols and uh, safety measures taken. And this is why you know Pop Warner only plays so many games and uh, high schools and youth football play only so many games or why flag has become such a popular version of football. I ref in it, uh, actually after talking with you, I think that last time I became a flag football referee uh, across the country uh, at this point. So I've seen it myself. I remember our conversations about it. This dawning of a spring football idea for NCAA teams uh, in the spring itself would probably be fine because basically we'll be moving a fall season to the spring if it were to play out. And we've covered a bunch of other uh, issues that come with playing spring football, Title IX issues and all that, but we want to look at the health issues. Because if we go spring football, a sophomore playing spring football will have those hits from the, uh, the spring and then come back as a junior in the fall and have it happen all over again in proximity. Does that worry you at all for 18 to 22-year-old uh, football players that they could show the same vulnerability that the youth we have discussed in the past would show with repeated head hits, head trauma? And would you advise against that type of approach or would you be okay with it under certain circumstances? I think that any uh, intervention that limits the amount of contact, the amount of contact to the head is helpful to the youth or, or any athlete for that matter who is playing a high velocity sport such as football. I also believe that uh, it is different to be in shape, jog, lift weights, and then as opposed to being in football shape. Uh, I there are just a certain moves that are happen on a football field uh, that you have to recapture that muscle memory to be able to uh, stay safe, anticipate, uh, and be, and read and react. And you don't do that by lifting weights and jogging and jumping rope and doing the other thing that don't directly involve all. Uh, so I wonder about the a number of games their proximity of being played as a potential risk factor to the football uh, player um, is the best way that I can answer that. 
you mentioned a bit of a cultural shift. Um, one of the things that we've heard from coaches, I guess maybe it's a cultural shift in, in, in the sport of football or coaching football, is the um, embracing of more non, you know, full contact practicing, um, you know, throughout the week, maybe leading up to a particular game. I mean, with the advent of a spring season, I suppose that maybe some of these uh, non, you know, non-contact measures might might help. But um, have you, you know, from other uh, organizations that you've consulted for, other athletes you've worked with, you know, is that is that really a, a does that kind of idea sort of really hold any any weight or any water um, when it comes to actual you know game experience and and what can happen in a particular full contact game? Well, there's nothing that can replace uh, actual game time speed and contact. There are a number of activities that can engage, that athletes can engage in that will approximate those types of uh, skills that you want to cultivate for the to read, to react, to tactile and motor uh, functions that you want to uh, develop the muscle memory and to retain that. And the best way to do that is in the context of a, a full uh, speed game. Uh, however, you don't want to be engaged in activities that will definitely are at being beat up and practices and, and having undue wear and tear on their body. So it's a, it's a less than optimal situation at at best, and uh, it's it's something that I think depended upon the program, the amount of support that they have in terms of resources. Uh, they're going to have to define with their medical teams, and uh, including ATCs and administrators and parents, uh, what's best, what makes best for their athletes. I'm glad you brought up resources because it's uh, one of the things that's been brought up by a number of people who are uh, concerned about uh, spring football. Uh, and in the Division Three context, I know you don't necessarily get as much exposure with Division Three as you probably do with Division One, but the training staffs are thin enough as it is in each season. Fall sports, uh, you have football, then soccer on both men's and women's side, and in a lot of cases, field hockey, uh, volleyball, sometimes both men's and women's, depending, and, and a bunch of other things, cross country, I believe, as well. Uh, and so the training staffs are thin enough. Moving football to the spring would require moving a bunch of sports to the spring because of Title IX gender equity issues that come with football, ultimately. And people are concerned about the resources of having full training staffs or training staffs that are ready to address the questions that football presents, ready to go. Does that give you pause at all? And how would you advise programs with these concerns to move forward as we get into this, I guess, debate or discussion about whether spring football is really a practical thing with all the other sports going to the spring too? Well, you've done a very, uh elegant job, an eloquent job of talking about these other sports. And uh, the short answer is, is that you're going to have to have the increase the number of ATCs to manage these sports. I don't think that uh, any sport should be uh, cut short in terms of the amount of, of ATC or certified athletic trainers that are available to them. 
It's just uh, to try to manage these number of sports that are coming together and playing at the same time with the same amount of resourcing uh, simply does not make sense. Uh, I think that uh, you, you know, programs are going to have to get creative. Uh, maybe there are, for example, in the communities, part-time paramedics, uh, other individuals who can don donate time. Uh, you're going to have to uh, also, uh, just if somebody is a nurse, if somebody is a paramedic, uh, doesn't necessarily mean that they have the requisite background training experience to uh, provide uh, medical support to athletes. Because unlike uh, injuries that are sustained off the, the uh, playing field or the court, uh, individuals who are injured in non-sports settings, they freely disclose that they have uh, pain in, in the ankles and in the arms and in the shoulders and the neck and the head. And athletes, we know historically, either don't report or significantly underreport their symptoms because they want to play. So the point is, is not only do you have to identify additional resources to help augment the ATCs that are available, but you got to make sure that they have some how athletes think, how they behave, so that that information can be used to help. Uh, achieve the goal, and that is to keep athletes safe. Speaking of keeping athletes safe, Dr. Strickland, we we have a number of um, viewers who also happen to be athletic directors, football coaches, um, members of different boards of these um, various hundreds of uh, you know, small colleges out there that that do um, you know, play at this level. I mean, what would, from your perspective, you know, if you were, um, if you got a phone call from the athletic director of some of some college, maybe one of the SIEX you know, schools out there in, in Los Angeles, like let's say Pomona Pitzer or, or Claremont, um, one of those kind of schools, and they said, "Hey, Dr. Strickland, we need a, we're thinking about spring football. We need to have a plan in place." What would you think would be some of the very first steps that you would advise these schools from a, uh, a health and sort of mental um, health perspective um, to keep their student athletes as safe as possible? Well, that would begin with the obvious cloud of reality uh, that we're the world is dealing with, and that is COVID nineteen. There's it quite frankly is going to influence every single thing that we do. So uh, protocols to test athletes, uh, resources to have testing that is uh, returned no later than 24 hours, a program and system to contact trace, uh, having uh, understanding with athletes about the risk of COVID, so they are going in eyes wide open. Uh, these are the kinds of things that are just at a basic level are going to help prepare individuals to develop uh, further protocols when you get back on, on the field. And by the way, the protocols need to be sports specific because the distancing and the uh, likelihood of someone is potentially positive and the associated, you can't determine uh, what the viral load of that individual is, but, but you know, we do know this, that distance does 
help mitigate against infection. So uh, it's going to have to be a sports specific approach and having in place on a fundamental level the issues of, of, of testing, frequency of testing, contact tracing that I mentioned previously. Some people are going to be surprised to hear you say that about spring football. I, I just want to kind of bring this question full circle uh, at this point. A lot of people feel that if we have a vaccine in the bag by October, which is possible from the Oxford vaccine and AstraZeneca's uh, work, uh, and you know others as well are trying for the October-November range, but at the same time, you seem to be pretty confident that there still needs to be a testing protocol in place in the spring, or are you assuming possibly the worst case scenario? Kind of take us through your thought process that testing still gonna need to be part of what goes on, even with spring football or any other spring sport coming up. Well, let's assume that there is uh, a vaccine for the sake of this discussion you're still going to need the protocol that I just uh, uh, just described because the virus is not going to go away between now and you know, the first quarter of 2021. And also, uh, there is an assumption that if that 100% of the people are going to, in fact, uh, take the vaccine, uh, there are, that's another discussion. There are some individuals who simply uh, don't want to do it. And I don't know if uh, one can necessarily force someone to take a vaccine if they don't want to. Uh, beyond that, there are still issues that we're learning about levels and risks of reinfection. So if you are exposed uh, and uh, you presumably develop antibodies, uh, there have been a couple of reports that these individuals have been reinfected. So uh, testing, testing, testing is going to be uh, a part of our new abnormal for the next, um, you know, I think 18 to, to possibly 24 months. Let's say testing is doable. And mm -hmm. let's put COVID aside for a second, okay? specific to your field of specialty ultimately in the concussion sense of things and you know the schools some schools desires to play a partial season at least and have a championship system in the spring followed by a season and championship system in the fall i remember asking you this question way back when if your son or grandson came to you and said what should I do? Should I go forward in that manner or not? Would you feel comfortable, COVID aside, hearing mm -hmm. that your son or grandson would play 20 to 30 games in an eight to nine month period, potentially? 20 to 30 football games? Yes, sir. Uh, no. Uh, I think that dosing is too much. Uh, to go back to the field to play? Absolutely. I would encourage it. I just think that that uh, amount of football in that period of time is too much. Um, you know, we we really um, don't know from a scientific standpoint how contracting schedules and increasing that particular uh, level of frequency of play, How what does that do to the, the multitude of other factors, recovery rates, injury rates, nutrition, hydration, 
these are important in terms of mitigating against adverse effects. And so I would say that, yes, let's go back. Love to play football, uh, but I don't know if that number that you reference is the right, right number, and I don't, I'm not sure who does. And I, I want to take pause there for a second because in the beginning of this interview, uh, JB asked you about the advances and you admitted that concussion rates are falling uh, because of the better protocols, better technology, et cetera, that are out there. And I remember asking you the question back when, as I just said, and you said, yes, you would be okay with your son or grandson essentially playing football 10 years ago, even before some of the slipping of numbers. You're basically saying that putting two seasons of football that close together with that number of games potentially gives you pause and concern enough to say, no, you would not advise your son or grandson to go out and do that. Uh, I would say that without greater clarity on the number of games being played, uh, I would say no. If there was clarity, absolutely. If you're going to limit uh, the play and say that we're going to do 12 games now, eight games now, and then there was a sufficient break between uh, to allow individual kids. They're, they're still developing. They're still not only physically, but they're developing heterosocial skills and learning life. They also are being educated within school. So we want the optimal situation. If there was sufficient time between you, uh, when you started a new say, season, I would be all for it. But uh, my understanding of the question that you asked is that there was a much closer proximity with a greater number of games. And then I was clearly would need to know more about that before I would feel comfortable moving forward. And I'll give you a for instance. The championship probably would have to be played in May if they were to play a championship system in the spring. And then preseason uh, would begin in the, uh, in the August range with games probably at the end of August, early September. So basically about a three-month break between, let's say, a championship set of teams and restarting things after maybe eight to ten games in the spring and up to 15 games in the fall. That Are you feeling that's one of those types of breaks that you're not very comfortable to hear, that you'd rather see six to ten months, or six to eight months, rather, instead of that kind of break? Uh, I would think it still would want a little bit more time between starting the second uh, season, and also it depends upon the age of the athletes. Uh, it So there are a variety of factors, and I think that we need to, uh, you know, this is, new territory we need to understand let's let's look at the first season examine the race of injury uh let's see how things go with the first season and then let's make a determination about when we start the second and that would be my my advice because at this point we simply don't know what we don't know So, Dr. Strickland, I know the, uh, the Sports Concussion Institute is, has morphed into um, you know, PCS and PTSD Center. Um, what's, what's kind of been, you know, your experience now as a doctor, um, you know, treating, treating patients? I imagine, you know, for a lot of neurologists and, and people in this field, it's, it's mostly, uh, mostly telehealth type related things. What, what has kind of been going on for, for your practice and, and um, you know, what do you kind of see like the sort of the near future of medicine looking like? Is it going to be just like us, like talking on a, 
on a um, uh, on a laptop, or is it still? Do you still have a chance to see patients face to face? Well, great question. We are still seeing patients face to face. They're in the office now, but the majority of patients that we see are through a teleneural health platform that we've developed. So we are able to do things like uh, evaluate a the consequences of a suspected concussion. Uh, in terms of assessing for changes in individuals' uh, attention, their concentration, their speed of mental processing, evaluate headache complaints, problems with balance, dizziness, and related symptoms uh, secondary to a concussion. Also further address issues like uh, anxiety, depression, uh, and associated types of sequelae of a concussive event. And we do that uh, on a daily basis through our uh, teleneural health platform. Uh, so a lot of individuals that we see, uh, particularly since sports uh, have not been in, uh, uh, we haven't been seeing the football players and the other individuals that are usual and customary for us, uh, but there are, individuals who are in, uh, injured all the time and slips and falls and automobile accidents and uh, they uh, have availed themselves to our platform for evaluation but equally importantly what we move to is treatment so it's one thing that yes you're diagnosed you have the concussion but you as a consumer wonder, well, what are we going to do about it how are you going to manage my headache how are you going to improve my depression how are you going to handle my anxiety what are the exercises that I can do to improve my memory, my attention, my concentration? And our center uh, for post-concussion syndrome and PTSD treatment does all of that from the comfort of your home or your office. We'll manage your headaches, we'll treat your depression, your anxiety, we'll give you uh, uh, a, a course of intervention to habilitate challenges in your attention and your memory and concentration and your memory function. So we've taken everything that we do within the context of uh, the office and we give it to you, the consumer, where you want it. And that's in the confines of your home or office. And we've learned uh, extensively from our having treated uh, thousands of uh, evaluated uh, and thousands of uh, NFL, retired NFL players in particular, who, uh, you know, life gets in the way, don't want to get up and get in that, our wonderful traffic and, uh, you know, pay the park and then come and sit in our office and you, uh, to, to discuss how your headache manages and you meet with a doctor 15 minutes and then you go. Uh, they, we thought that didn't make any sense. So we wanted to give you what you wanted. And uh, we listened and we gave them the patients exactly everything they wanted and we give it to them in the comforts of their home or office. And uh, for folks that are wondering uh, how to get more information uh, with respect to especially uh, the Center for PCS and PTSD Treatment, it's concussiontreatment.com, I believe is the uh, web address out there. Uh, go look at it, folks, because uh, especially trainers at schools and athletic directors, if you do go with the spring season, you're going to want to get some more information, want to get some uh, definite guidelines to go by uh, that the NCA probably won't even be able to issue to you about how to handle these types of situations of 
playing more games in a proximity time frame, even if you do put a sufficient gap in between them. Doctor, I want to give you the last word. You've got a big audience here of 18 to 22-year-olds that are wondering, you know, the right things to do out there if they experience, even in a normal season, something that doesn't feel right. Uh, you've talked about communicating it uh, before and everything else. Give the message that you want to give to the college football players that are watching this about the right things to do and not to be afraid of it, essentially, to in terms of that communication, because we've talked at length about that in previous interviews. Well, the best uh, advice that I have at this point is simply to follow your head and your heart. Uh, lead with the head. Um, we are in a area uh, that is not that clear at this point in time. Uh, the thing that we do know is that you stay safe, stay distanced, and you'll stay safe. And always wear a mask. This is beyond this immediate uh, period that we find ourselves in. Uh, so if you're out of your controlled environment, your home, around others, wear a, ma wear a mask always. When you return to play, um, there are going to be times that you're going to question certain symptoms that you have or changes in your body. I would always seek the advice of a trainer. Uh, if you're not getting the information that you want, then I would suggest that you uh, reach out to other healthcare providers, including you can send us a note at uh, info at concussiontreatment.com. We'd be happy to respond to that. And, uh, you know, I want to uh, thank again, if I could, you, Frank, James, you guys have done a wonderful, uh, wonderful job. And my God, you, you're, you're dating me even more. As we collectively, it's been 10 years. I hadn't realized that much time has elapsed. And uh, I know these are extraordinarily challenging times, and it's going to take us more time to get clarity in terms of how we get back to what we're so passionate about but we want to get back to that and, and being and, and playing as safely as we can. Amen to that. Health, safety, and welfare are supposed to be the biggest things that we're looking at uh, for the student athletes. I know the financial aspect comes in so much right now, but it all has to go back to health, safety, and welfare of our student athletes out there and uh, why we do what we do on this program. Uh, we, people think we make millions of dollars from this uh, podcast. Uh, not quite that, uh, not even close to that. And I know you have the same passion to see uh, people. Uh, getting getting improved health and avoiding the worst consequences from the games uh, that we love watching uh, out there, be it on the field or on TV or whatever else. So kudos to you, doctor, and thank you again for joining us. My absolute pleasure. Good seeing you all. So uh, notably uh, from that interview, oh, by, by the way, you can take the Bruins hat off now if you really want to. Um, yeah, seriously, get, go get your Trojans hat now. Uh, yeah, notably, uh, JB, uh, what you pull away from that is that he believes uh, COVID testing is going to need to be a standard no matter where we are in this school year coming up, not just in the fall, but possibly into the spring uh, for the variety of reasons he listed in that interview, and we appreciate yeah. his candor about that. Now, there may be this disagreement among experts on that question, and so... You know, we, as always, say this is one point of view we are presenting here. And so, 
you know, there may be more to uh, be heard, but he's a very, very intelligent person uh, in the medical field and well-respected. So keep that in mind as well. But what really gave me pause in that discussion, I think you kind of got taken aback by it too, was the if your son or grandson came to you and said, you know, I want to play this number of games in proximity to each other, 20 to 30 games potentially, Granted, he may have been more focusing on the high school or younger group with his answer is what I got from that. But even 18 to 22-year-olds, he didn't seem to be exactly thrilled with the prospect of smashing that many games together without a break, essentially, of sufficient means. What was your takeaway from that? Yeah, and I think that's why if there is going to be some kind of uh, spring football season it, it probably can't be more than, you know, six weeks um, just based on, you know, what we know about the uh, kind of what the body can handle. Uh, maybe there could be as many as eight or nine games for some teams. If we do have some form of playoff, whether that's a regional one or, or a, some kind of a national one, depending on how many teams do um, throw their hats in the ring. But it does sound to me that he would advise on the on the lower uh, lower number of spring games than just having kind of a quote unquote you know conference only or, or normal um, you know fall type of season, but played in the spring. I just I just can't see that really working uh, out well for these young people if that's the case. I mean, I'm not advocating for spring football one way or another. Um, I think there's some compelling arguments for it, but then there's also several um, against it, especially if it ends up being a, a pretty long season. And then to your point, if you only have a couple of months off uh, and you're right back at it, it, uh, it could be a real challenge. Yeah, I mean, th this is the, the push and pull that we're going to be looking at coming up. Because as I said, we had coaches reaching out saying, my players don't want to play six games, waste a year yep. of eligibility, without a playoff system being offered at the end of it. What we're getting from that is if a playoff system's offered and it stretches us into May and you're back in the field in some major form in August for preseason and possibly games as early as late August or early September, it gives them pause. And so how do you, do you even do a spring season unless you're the NESCAC or something, you even shorten your season that way because you never play playoffs anyway. But, you know, can you, do, can you meet both requirements that the players and the coaches are looking for, which is a sufficient number of games to justify essentially the you know use of eligibility question plus a playoff system in the spring? I don't know if you can. You would have to yeah. start football in January. And then, and then it comes back down to, you know, the, the whole, you know, money aspect of it. I mean, if you're going to have to hire more athletic trainers, that's a more cost. If you're going to be doing more COVID testing, which, you know, we've heard in certain circles was a big reason why a lot of teams are pulling out because uh, they don't want to spend, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars on, on testing this fall. Well, according to Dr. Strickland, you, you might still be on the hook for those expenses. So, you know, does that mean that certain sports uh, start getting cut like we saw at Stanford? I mean, Maybe the, the one way you get spring football is that you cut you know, the, the spring sports um, and, you know, maybe these lesser, you know, like the cross countries, uh, the swimming and diving, you know, the ones that maybe aren't, you know, quote unquote, as big, you know, revenue generators. Um, obviously, at our level, you know, this isn't like we're the SEC and, and we're you know, getting millions of dollars from TV or anything. 
but you know, at the end of the day, um, schools are, are already in a financial crunch. They're going to see lesser enrollments most likely, which will, you know, tighten things up. And if you're talking about moving, you know, something as large as a whole entire football season to the spring term, that's going to cost a lot of money too. So someone's going to have to figure out a way to pay for it. Um, yeah, there aren't any real easy answers right now. Viewer Scott Bertrand on uh, Twitter had reached out to me and asked a question I've heard a couple times. And uh, Scott, we thank you for reaching out. Uh, given the cancellation of spring sports and the NCAA approving a waiver to support athletes, will D3 schools who don't have the same financial ability to D1 stand behind the scholarships, or I would assume this is aid uh, at the end of the day, uh, or is the 2021 spring season uh, a way to get around it? NCA can allow it, but the school could say no. It's a good question, and I think what he's getting at there is essentially the two-pronged problem of what does playing in the spring mean? Are the financial aid situations going to be adjusted or amended by doing that? If you use your waiver and they play, are you going to be kind of screwed in the financial aid analysis later on by doing it, ultimately? And... You know, we saw the NCA allowing, but schools saying no in the Wisconsin situation, don't forget, where in the spring, uh, athletes were told they can't play, obviously, and Wisconsin and other schools said, but we're also not going to have you back as a fifth-year senior, so this is the end of the road for you, ultimately. There are a lot of open questions still, despite the NCAA sort of opining on, you know, guidelines for testing and waivers and other things. And we're not going to have all the answers anytime soon, I don't think. It's kind of like this slow roll we're playing, just like the cancellation of the season. Uh, Our friend uh, Lenny Reich had sent to me a a bit ago uh, an article from uh, the Orlando Sentinel, of all things, uh, that said American Football Coaches Association leaders still optimistic football can be played safely. Okay, but the question is when, where, and how, because it's not just the safety that's playing this role now, it's the finances behind it as well. And while we appreciate the optimism in Division One, maybe is where he's looking at some of this more than Division Three. the question is, can you even pull off the fall? Our answer is clearly, despite not wanting to say it, no, no, it's over. It's over. And for as much as we don't want to say it and see it, Division One, the Power Five can go all day long, probably, even with their those costs. Everybody Which else, yeah. no. And if Doctor Strickland's right about the spring, you might want to think twice about that too, with the roster size the football presents and the other ancillary problems that come with it in terms of the other sports as well. Soccer is considered high contact. Uh, field hockey is considered high contact because proximity on the field. Those uh, volleyball is as well, by the way. Um, th- so those would require testing if things don't change. And he's correct, even with vaccines in play. Something to think about there. Parting shots, sir. Any any final thoughts before uh, we kind of hang this up for a few weeks? Yeah, I mean, I just wish. Um... I wish, wish we gave ourselves a little more time um, and could be making a call in, in September rather than in the middle of July. But if this is the, you know, sort of the inevitable outcome, given what we know, then so be it. Um, it's just, I think it, it sucks for everyone involved, but uh, you know, we'll, we'll all, you know, 
<laughs> find some new stuff to do during the fall. And uh, we'll stay in touch with, you know, our friends at all these different um, schools that we've gotten to know over the years. And uh, there'll be some kind of season 13, but we'll have to figure it out over the next couple of weeks and, and get back to you on it. <laughs> yeah, there is going to be a healthy debate. And I would urge folks about the debate about spring football. Once we get past this final stage of announcements coming up here, start this, this discussion on August 1st. We presented five lists, a list of five in bullet points to go with it, concerns that you're going to have to address. These aren't going to be uh, addressed in no time flat. And COVID wasn't even on that list of concerns in terms of testing possibilities. We assumed you wouldn't have to, but again, you learn in this show, you might. But the five other things are just as important from a rules and respect point of view and personnel and health safety and welfare issues. It's it's not easy. And I, again, applaud, applaud the folks coming out saying they want this to happen, spring football. And by all means, let's talk about it. But be realistic and don't view it in a vacuum. You can't. We've got a lot of things to discuss and decide with respect to this once we're in a position to look at the fall season, quote, in the rearview mirror and look forward to what to do next because of what our decisions are with the fall. We're here on Twitter uh, and Facebook, especially Twitter for DMs and whatnot. I've opened up uh, the ability for anybody to DM me at this point. I didn't realize it wasn't on. And it's great to hear from folks uh, that want to reach out. But uh, Twitter, it's D3FB Huddle or at Frank Rossi, you probably know it by now. Drop us DMs, we are happy to talk with you. JB is D3FB Huddle. I'm obviously Frank Rossi, you can send it to both of us, that way we will both see it if you want information from either one of us. Otherwise, stay tuned to social media for a lot more information. We're gonna take a deep breath here, try to enjoy the rest of our summer to the degree you can enjoy something like this, and we appreciate, again, all the kind words and support you've sent along over the last couple of weeks. See you soon, folks. Stay safe, stay healthy, and stay optimistic that we'll see each other soon on the football field.